Wednesday, August 18th. This is Messiah Matters 354. I still got all my fingers. My name is Caleb Pegg. I have 10 fingers also. <laughs> I wasn't ready. As always, I'm Rob Vanoff, not ready. It's all good, man. How's I'm life? ready to give an answer for oh. the hope that is in me. All right. Good, good. How's life, man? God is, God is good. I'm grateful that where we live here on the eastern side of the state, the air is fresh and the temperature, I think our highs are in the 70s today. We've been pinging hundreds for a couple of weeks now. We've had so many hundred degree days plus toxic air. You know, we've been in like the purple, red and purple zone. But today, uh, cleared out. I, I know that there's still people suffering from that smoke. I, uh, I worked pretty much in hundred degree weather, which was excruciating and stupid. I should have taken this week off instead of last week. What can you do? Um, but the, uh, the office is coming along. I think I got about another week, another week of, of building before maybe, maybe a little bit longer. Cause I got to put a roof on too. So if anybody wants to come help me, come on out to Tacoma. I'm not going to put you up. You're going to have to find your own housing. What, what Caleb's not saying is that it's actually an arc. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we need he's it got, right about now, don't we? There's he he he's heard tell of of some judgment. I, I, I'll tell you what, man. If if we were a political show or a end time show, we'd have a lot to talk about right now. There's it's unbelievable. If you're not, dude, I'm I'm on a news fast deliberately. I'm uh, presently, so I. I had to unplug. If if you're not if if you're a believer and you're not praying for <laughs> other believers in Afghanistan right now, start. Oh. It's it's the images coming out of Afghanistan are absolutely horrendous. It's uh, it, just seeing the the fear in the kids' eyes is what really gets me. We you know it's yeah it's a it's a dire situation, and that's that's polis, politics aside. I mean, just thinking of the of the ordeal that the believers are going to go through for their faith, which is, is, I think is probably death. I mean, those people are going to die and it's, uh, it's super sad. Uh, anyway. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about other things. What's up with you, man. It's been, it's been over a week. It's been two weeks. And that was a heavy hitter. Actually for you, it's been three weeks. I haven't done the math. I haven't two, done any math two, lately, actually. <laughs> I've, I've done nothing but math recently. Two weeks ago, it was me and Jeff Young who came on. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's we right. Stirred the pot, week, we stirred no the pot show. a lot. We talked. Not only did we talk about, uh, let's see here, we talked about women women in ministry. That did not, a lot of people didn't like it. We, I should say we had some people who really liked it. And then... We had some people that were not happy about it. And then we also talked about cremation. And I didn't realize that that was a topic that so many people needed to hear, apparently. But, yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, but there was a lot of pot stirring. So, anyway, we got some other things going on, too, uh, in in the works. That's a lot better than pot smoking. That, I, had to, I yes. had to say that. Sorry. Yes. I agree with that completely. Um, okay. And what have you been up to, man? It's been three weeks. Tell me what you're up to. You rebuilt well, the bathroom. I finished. I, yeah, yeah, it's looking great. I'm telling you, this home thing, <laughs> this owning been, a house thing. <laughs> but I've learned all sorts of new skills, you know, uh, which are really good, and and things that were that scared me, you know, at first, like how am I going to learn to do this? 
And it's like, okay, I can do that. So Here, here's what I've I learned. Through that. Here's what I learned. I'm, I'm sitting there. Okay. I got a power saw. I got a nail gun. Okay. Oh. And I got, you know, the, I got air compressor nail gun. Air, or air, just air a, compressor nail gun. I got the huge, you know, head thing so that I, I, I don't blow my ears out. I got glasses on. I'm sitting there trying, about to cut a board, right? And I think to myself, you know, Jesus was a carpenter and he didn't have any of this stuff. Right. And his stuff probably looked a lot better than mine. Dude was using, you know, the Messiah is using a handsaw or something. I don't know. I don't know what they had back then. And his stuff looks cleaner than what I got with all of this, you know, highfalutin stuff. It's it's ridiculous. Do you okay? Do you have a a, a prayer slash blessing before you cut wood? Every time I I do. I, I'm like Lord, or if I have to go up on the roof, I'm like Lord, my life is in your hands. Give me. Give me accuracy and, and you know, and, and care. I always wonder what my neighbors think, because as soon as I'm done using the power saw, and this is no joke, every time I'm done, the first thing I do is this. Make sure I still got all of them. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, yeah. So anyway, this is it's good. To, you can to tell that the Lord has built me to sit at a desk and not to not to build stuff. I, I, I do have a prayer at the end of every day where I thank the Lord that I'm not in construction. Yeah, there are some you people. You are. Yeah, you are. Yeah, there, okay. There are some people who are built for it, and I am not one of them. Anyway, all right. Um, if you want to be part of the conversation, you can do so. Uh, give us a call, 253 465 3205. It's. Messiah matters, wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call 253 you can also send us an email, chegg at torahresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torahresource.com. Go to Torah Resource. Torah Resource is the source of all things uh, that you want to know about, uh, well, one Torah theology, essentially, one one law theology, or, um, yeah, and uh, I don't know. Pronomian. There, yeah, pronomian Christianity. There's all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of stuff that you can uh, find there and find all of our uh, archives all the way back to the first season on messiahmatters.com and that links to Torah Resource. So you can go to either one of those and you can link to both of them. They're kind of interlinked. And then of course, if you are not already subscribed, please do us a favor, click that subscribe button. I know that there's a lot of people, in fact, every YouTube channel now that you watch, people tell you to subscribe. So everyone's vying for subscriptions. I changed it so you can't actually comment in the chat room unless you're subscribed to to our, to our uh, YouTube channel. So um, go ahead and subscribe. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, if there's one channel that you subscribe to today, it should be ours. And if you're already subscribed, thank you very much. Go ahead. Click that like button. Cause that helps us too. Okay. One, what? one little, uh, fun note. This is show 354. You said, I believe that is true. I wonder if anybody in the chat room knows what is 354 days. 354 days is see if anybody in the chat room will know they're they're on a delay we got them on oh. a 15 to okay 20 second well, delay. i'm not on the chat room but if they post it and then I'll, we can do a reveal later okay see if anybody gets it all right go uh <laughs> shalom from india we have Ooh. all right we got let i haven't even looked really in the chat room we got a good showing in the chat room hello chat room sean fisher all right Okay. Um, yeah, let's let's jump into this. Uh, our good friend Stephen, 
always supplying great content for us. I sent a uh, personal message before this. I will start in in the middle. He says, please correct me if I am wrong. I have come to understand that the covenants of God are not time bound. Okay. Therefore, an Orthodox Jew today who is trying to observe and obey the Torah can still be living under the old covenant. And that equals not saved. If he doesn't see and trust uh, by faith Yeshua in the Torah. Meanwhile, Abraham, David, and Moses, who lived thousands of years ago, but through faith understood in some way who and what the Torah was pointing to, were living in the new covenant. Okay, so uh, let's just, yes. So thus far, Stephen is correct. I believe that the... Um, I believe that the the covenants are not time bound, and this actually runs into some problems a little bit for people when we say that the Mosaic Law or the Mosaic Covenant is not time bound either. Of course, a lot most modern Christians today believe that, that uh, parts of the law were time bound until Christ came along. Doctor Walter Kaiser has coined a term, built in obsolescence. Uh, we do not, Rob and I do not believe in like, like when you buy a refrigerator these days or, <laughs> yes. a, or, a, or a new phone. Yes, built in obsolescence. Exactly. <laughs> in two years, you're going to have to put Yeah, exactly. But that's not the way. Now, now, okay, now this is actually where I'm going to agree with Dr. Kaiser. There are some things in the Torah that had built in obsolescence. And this is actually a problem for people who, a, a lot of people who believe in, in one Torah or are pronomian Christians tend to want to shy away from this fact. We do see built-in obsolescence in the Torah. For instance, the tabernacle, all of the laws that pertain to the tabernacle in terms of tearing it down, putting it back up, moving it, all these things essentially are now obsolete. And why are they obsolete? They're obsolete because God promised that he would put his eyes and his ears someplace and that there would be one specific place where all of this would take place. And certainly he did. And that was on the Temple Mount and the temple was built. And this is the only place. And so we don't revert back to the tent of meeting. That is now those. Now, now I don't actually like the term obsolete because um, my. okay. so let's just real quick. This is a rabbit trail like nobody's business. Let's just go real quick to. Second Timothy 316. And following, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Okay, so um, what is, so obviously when we look at things like the, um, the tabernacle, that means that we should be able to learn something, teach something, correct people with those things. Now we see, we see Christ doing this, right? Is it Christ? Hang on. Let me think of what analogy I'm going to use when it says, oh, no, Paul uses it when he says uh, when he says that he, he's talking about teachers being paid and he and he uses a a uh, a command priesthood. from the Torah priesthood. Well, he, right. he uses a command from the Torah that you should not muzzle the ox while it treads. This is a point that my uh, my Old Testament prof made. That he uses, you know, my Old Testament prophet says, says, well, 
in my day and age, I look at the uh, command to uh, not muzzle an ox when it treads, and I think, well, that's great for them, but I don't have an ox. I don't let, you know, that was great for them back then and maybe for some farmers today, but that's not even how they do things anymore. So this is obsolete, but it's not obsolete because Paul takes that command and he applies it to a modern day situation that everyone in the church should be able to understand. So I, uh, this, so he does do the priesthood as well, that they participate in the, the right, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. And so <clears throat> the, the, all of this to say, Walter Kaiser, who uh, I, I I fully respect, I mean, he is an unbelievable Old Testament scholar. He's one of the best today, I think. Um, but his his term built in obsolescence, meaning that the commands of Torah become obsolete. I, I, do, I actually don't like this term. I would say that their their main function may uh, may not serve the function that they have. In other words, uh, you know, the priest carrying this part of the tabernacle may not apply today, but we can still learn something from it and we can still teach from it. All of all of that to say. OK, so where were we? Um, well, here, one other thing, though, the Orthodox Jew back to the email. Yes. Thank you for the email. Um, Orthodox Jews have a different religion, though. It's not just yes, it's based on the Torah, but it's really Talmudic and later like if you go to the, the idea of Orthodox Judaism is has accumulated so many right layers of subsequent of post biblical tradition that are now viewed as obligatory to being part of uh, to be being in or acceptable or quote Orthodox right that to me just say oh they're under the old covenant isn't sufficient uh, it's really morphed into especially when you get into post Kabbalistic, you know, reincarnate doctrine of tikkun olam and reincarnation and and uh, all this kind of stuff. It really is a different. So, see, actually, what Stephen has done here is he's kind of opened up a uh, bag of of many different topics. And the reason why is because do the Orthodox Jews and did the Jews in the first century do they actually believe that they are saved by keeping the Torah? And I would argue, no, they don't. I would argue that they believe that they are saved by bloodline. Yeah, by being Israel, by being true Israel. Then right. they argue about who's true Israel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the point is, is that I I don't see a Jew saying, well, if I if I keep kosher, all the right ways, I then then I'm in, because ultimately, um, yes, that that's part of staying in. But they're in because they're Jewish. They're in because they are true Israel, quote unquote. So it's bloodline superiority. And we see this. The sad part is, is that even though... Here's a funny thing. Okay, I just had this crazy, just crazy footnote. Go. A friend of mine, and I don't remember who it was, Jewish friend, grew up, and you know, uh, kind of a, a slash assimilated American Jewish household. Okay. So not Christian. Right. But they were marginally observant. Okay. They would eat, occasionally they would eat ham. But when they ate ham, they used they would always use paper plates. They would never put ham on their actual actual dishware. Right. Okay, so I, I sorry, friend. I don't remember which friend it was that told me this, and I was like, and that apparently was like a thing. Like, like they knew. Like, what does that say? Like, okay, we know we're we're going outside of what is quote kosher. But we're 
we're reconciling that or we're, we're buffering that with the fact that we're just going to use paper plates, which are throwaway. Right. So we're never, we're not going to put it on our dishes. <laughs> so we'll that's put it in example. our mouth, but not in our dishes. Yeah. So this is an example of, of how this kind of religious quote works. Rationality. Right. Happens. It's so, just one little example. So, uh, uh, and MC and LC in the chat room say, what about Romans 9, where it says they sought it, it as if it were by works. Uh, where did that change? Okay. So, yeah, I'm not saying that works don't play into this. In fact, I think that Paul specifically hits home the idea of the work of conversion. In other words, if I circumcise myself correctly, if I, you know, if I become Israel and then I keep the Torah, I'm in. So it's not that works are a non, like certainly the idea of being saved through the things that you do is still in Paul's mind. I'm not saying that that's not there. In fact, I think that there are a couple of specific places that we can look in the scriptures where Paul is specifically saying, you're trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and it's not going to work. However, with that said, I think that also predominantly one of the things that has been missed up until the the um, kind of groundbreaking work by E.P. Sanders and N.T. Wright on and Jimmy Dunn on the uh, on the new perspective on Paul. I'm sorry, Dr. James, <laughs> Dr. James Dunn. Everybody at SBL calls him Jimmy. Um, anyway, the the uh, you know, I, I think until that time and I want to make it clear, I don't agree with everything that is said about the new perspective on Paul. However, the idea that that Paul is fighting bloodline superiority, I think that that's been well proven. I think that that point, at least that part of the new perspective on Paul, I think is actually right. That Paul is predominantly speaking against bloodline superiority. Okay, we are way off track here. Let's get back to Stephen's email. Um, so he says, meanwhile, Abraham, David, and Moses lived thousands of years ago. But okay, so we already read this part. Okay, so far, so good. Correct. You are so far so good. Therefore, since I am saved today by faith, the same way Abraham was thousands of years ago. Okay. And this is true. We see Paul talk about this in Galatians three, right? The, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham when it was said in your seat, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then he uses Abraham as the model citizen of the, of the covenant people of the kingdom of God as the model citizen saved by faith, right? Okay, so um, we're not saved differently. Well, he's the prime recipient of the gospel, right? He's the he's the in the Torah. He's like the yeah, okay, the exemplar. So here are Stephen's questions. He says, "Did Abraham, Moses, and David have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit?" Yes. Check. Number one down. <laughs> he got actually number one goes on in Numbers eleven. The Spirit only depended upon the chosen seventy. So, okay, this is interesting. Descended, maybe, is what he means there. Uh, Yeah, descended. Okay, so this is interesting, though, because I think there are two kinds of indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I've written on this in my Acts commentary that uh, is yet to be published. Who knows if the Lord, the Lord only knows if it will ever be published. But um, I agree with my father. Actually, my father's done really good work on this as well in his uh, in his five part series on the Holy Spirit. So I believe that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts and other places, if, if you do a survey of the entire 
Bible, all 66 books, when we see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, predominantly, it's for a specific purpose. So uh, we see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the Tanakh, as well as we do in the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament. So, for instance, in Acts in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit fills the people at Pentecost, right? It's for a specific work. It's so that they can go out to the nations and give the gospel. They're filled with the Holy Spirit to accomplish something. Okay. We see this in Exodus 31, 2, and 3 as well. Bezalel, the guy who is in charge of building the, uh, the uh, tabernacle, he's filled with the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. Listen to this. It says, See, I have called my uh, by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. In other words, God's Spirit comes uh, into Bezalel, not for salvation at this point, although I will talk about that in a second, but this is beyond the salvation issue. This is about giving him the spirit to do something specific. And I would I would argue that this is actually the case throughout all of the Torah and all of the scriptures for the most part, is that there are two kinds of filling of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who is, and we'll look at this in a second, anyone who is uh, saved is filled with the Holy Spirit in terms of the indwelling of the Spirit of God uh, to salvation. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit that all of us have. But then there's the filling of the Holy Spirit to accomplish things. Okay, Rob, go. What yeah, there's the Spirit as the the Arabon, which is the the guarantee. So that's that is being born from above. You have the guarantee. Paul uses a Hebrew word there, by the way, transliterated into Greek, Arabon, and that that is. I mean, it sounds crude, but it's like a stamp. It's like God saying, you're mine. You belong right. to Messiah. Done deal. And um, and so that's that's how Paul describes the Arabon generally, or the, the Holy Spirit for every believer. But I agree that there are specific moves of the Spirit where, for example, Saul, King Saul, right? I mean, so the Spirit of God guided King Saul for a time and then left him. And uh, so, well, we see so the same. So, so back to the initial question of Steve uh, that Stephen poses in Numbers eleven: the Spirit only descends upon the chosen seventy. What for though? So that they can lead Israel. In other so words, they can bear. So they can because Moses said, "I can't bear. I can't do this." Right. And right. so, I believe that in this specific passage, we see something beyond, or we see something different than the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for salvation. We see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for. Uh, for leadership. <clears throat> in other words, it's to accomplish the uh, the ability to lead the people. Okay, let's keep going with Stephen's questions. Number two, what about the core group of Israelites that believed in faith and were trying to obey the Torah in faith? Okay. What's an example of that? Um, I think that an example of that might be Moses. In other words, Moses clearly knows that Christ that that Yeshua is coming to die sure, on the cross. Sure. Well, well, uh, Hebrews eleven says Moses kept the Passover by by faith. He kept the Passover. So that's Hebrews eleven. So that's Moses obeying God's commandment, specifically by faith. But his right? question is: Did they uh, did they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. 
now, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I think in that case, it's going to be different than what we see at Acts 2, indwelling of the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. Any believer that had true faith in Christ or the coming seed that would deal with sin is indwelled with the Holy Spirit, just as we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit now. Okay, number three. Did the indwelling of the Holy Spirit filling all believers only happen at Pentecost? Most Christian churches today will teach something to that effect. Okay, so this is an interesting question because, first of all, we've already looked at Bezalel. Uh, John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb in Luke one fifteen. Elizabeth, mm. his mother, is filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke one forty one. His father, Zechariah, is filled with the Holy Spirit in uh, Luke one sixty seven. Others are filled with the Holy Spirit before Christ dies on the cross. So and before the the event in Acts two. So clearly there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit before the Acts two events, but. Um, once again, I think that we have two different filling of the Holy Spirit in Romans eight, seven through nine. It says this now. So this goes to the idea that, uh, a, a person is that people were not saved differently before the death of the Messiah on the cross as they are today. In other words, we believe that, that people were saved exactly the same way beforehand faith in the coming Messiah and the seed. It's always through the name of Christ, right? It's always through the name of Yeshua. You are only saved by one name. There was not a different way before he died. It's exactly the same. Okay, so if that's the case, then we just have to ask, how are people saved in general? Not in specific time frames, but how are people saved overall? Romans 8, 7 through 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This is not time bound. So Abraham had the spirit of Christ. Moses had the spirit of Christ. First Peter, first Peter chapter one talks about the prophets that had that the spirit of Christ was in them. Right. uh, Prophesying about, you know, the the incarnation and and the coming of the Messiah, etc. Right. So. The answer is, is no, everyone, everyone who has had saving faith has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the speaking in tongues, Holy Spirit. Right, right. But that means they are spilled. They are filled with the Spirit of Christ. Again, that's a purpose. That would be a specific end. Right. A specific aim, a specific purpose. And once and why why are the believers in Acts 2 filled with the Holy Spirit and then speak in tongues? Because they, that what's the purpose? It's not to build the tabernacle; it's to go to the nations. So they speak in tongues because that's the indwelling of the whole. That's what the goal is: is to be able to go out and give the the word to other people, right? Right. I was just I just looked up Acts two thirty seven. They heard this; they were cut to the heart. Peter said to the rest of the apostles, brothers, or and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, etc. Oh, then he said 39, for the promises for you and your children, all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then it says, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So they were crying to a huge multitude, the message of repentance and and faith in Yeshua. But then it says, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added about 3,000 souls. Okay, I think there were more than 3,000 people there. 
Sure. So in other words, it wasn't just, I think there were, the word was heard by many more than 3,000, but the Lord had called 3,000 among that bigger crowd and, and regenerated their hearts right. by the preaching. So, so Stephen's final question, can Numbers 11 be seen as a foreshadow of the New Testament Pentecost? I would say absolutely. The giving of the Torah at, at Mount Sinai is a foreshadow. It, and what is Israel supposed to do? Actually, I'm reading a, a book right now by uh, actually by Walter Kaiser uh, on the notion that uh, that evangelism is is given at Acts 2. And what he's saying is no. Evangelism is actually a command from the very beginning. Israel is given the Torah and told to be a light to the nations. They're supposed to go out and, and proclaim the good news that the seed is com is coming to the nations. They're supposed to evangelize. And then he goes through all these different scriptures to prove that. And the, the, uh, the point here is that, yes, the Torah is given to Israel. Israel continues to drop the ball, unfortunately, right? Time and time again, as we read the, the Tanakh, what we realize is we keep slapping our faces going, come on, can't you guys get this? No, don't turn to idols this time. And then you get to like, you get to some of the, the kings and you're like, oh, finally, this guy was righteous in the sight of the Lord. No, he made high places. Right. I mean, like it just keeps happening. It keeps happening. And then they're exiled. And really, we haven't seen Israel come back into the land not under exile. Even today, I would argue that Israel is not under exile. Israel does not have the Temple Mount. Israel is not following. You mean Shad. they are under exile. They're under exile. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. They are under exile because they don't have the Temple Mount. They're, they aren't following God's precepts. They're not a nation following the Torah. They're constantly fighting for the land. Right. So, I mean, they're still in exile, essentially. And and in the state of Israel itself, they're, you know, it's just a, don't think it's a holy nation. You know, oh, I no. mean, the, the, there are so many things that, I mean, parallel the, the vices of America, you know, Las Vegas type stuff and and the left uh, gender bending kind of things are all very much present uh, in in present state of Israel. Yeah, so I mean, all of this to say that Israel never really fulfilled their their call or their command by God to go take the the covenant to the nations. In fact, what they tried to do was hold it to themselves, and then we see the whole thing shift. Right? We see the whole thing shift when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost. But it it's the same idea. Grace is given. Uh, one of the the things that uh, my my teacher has really hit home uh, recently is that the Ten Commandments and the uh, the commandments of the Torah were not given until Israel had received grace. Grace was given to bring them out of Egypt. So God gives grace first, and then He gives the commands. And um, I mean, I think that this is that's that's powerful to think of. Well, it goes further back than that. In Galatians, Paul says that uh, that God graced the covenant to Abraham. So it's the covenant to Abraham that defines the grace of the redemption from Israel, from Egypt. Right. Um, there, God says, "I'm doing this not because of your righteousness, but right. because I promised the patriarchs." Yeah. Good. Good stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Great question, Stephen. Thank you so much for sending them in. This is an interesting one. 
Um, now we found this. We finally found this. Um, it took me a while to find. Stephanie writes in. She says, hello. I hope you guys are well. We are glad that the summer has finally decided to not roast us over 100 degrees every every day. As are we. Same here, Stephanie. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> We're there two times to sacrifice the Pesach lambs in Jerusalem because the northern Jews, quote, northern Jews calculated a day from sunrise to sunrise, which included Yeshua, and the southern Jews calculated a day from sunset to sunset. That is just what the pastor here said. It sounds fishy to me. You're right to have it sound fishy to you. I'm going to search through your MM and TR video library to try to understand the Pesach timing fully for myself, but I just wanted to shoot off that simple question to start. Now, I wrote back and I said, okay, what, uh, where is he getting this from? And she emailed her pastor and uh, and he was, I think that he sees something in, in uh, Stephanie and her family, which is a, a pretty uh, well-rounded knowledge of scripture. And so he said, yeah, absolutely. Here's where I got that. You know, here's where I got that information. And uh, if you find something different, please let me know. And he, you know, he sounds like a, a very gracious and uh, humble uh, uh, pastor and teacher, which is excellent. Um, what he wrote back is that he got it from John MacArthur. Now, I want to dis- I want to give a disclaimer here. Um, I-, I respect Dr. MacArthur greatly. I know that there's a lot of people who don't, but I do. I find his teachings to be. Uh, beneficial for my faith. Uh, I think that he has stood firm uh, in in the face of trials. He was not pushed around by the California government. uh, And he's, I think that he is doing a lot of good work for the Lord. With that said, he is still a man as we, uh, as all teachers are. And so I think that he desperately got this one wrong. But I, I, I I just want to say that this is not to down Dr. MacArthur. I fully respect Dr. MacArthur. With that said, this is what he writes. This is in his, um, this is in the MacArthur Study Bible. And this is under, for those who have it's his... A, it's the Introduction to the Gospel of John. Introduction to the Gospel of John, Interpretive Challenges is what interpretive he, challenges, is what right. is where we're at. And it's about the third paragraph down or so. He says, uh, <clears throat> that area included, uh, okay, well, let's start a little bit before that, I guess. For uh, oh, The question is, the question is this. He says John has a different calendar than the synoptics. Right. How do we make sense of this? And he says the question is why did the disciples eat the Passover meal on Thursday? Okay. So he's he uh, we should note that this is a classic debate that has been going on for a very long time. And that this debate has come to a kind of a rounded like people are starting to accept uh what Dr. Petrie yeah. Uh, you know what we need to do? If anybody has it, to post the link to that show for we'll, Stephanie or others. Anyway, keep going. We'll put that link. We'll put the link to our interview with Dr. Petrie in the uh, description of the show after it airs live. And it will be in your show notes, which is the description on YouTube and any of your podcasts. So you'll be able to go back and, and see that as well. Um, with that said, Dr. Petrie and my father, Tim Haig, separate from each other. And, actually, and your dad, your dad, probably 10 to 20 years, 10 before. to 20 years beforehand, came to the exact same conclusions. And they wrote almost the exact same uh, uh, ways of how to line up John and and the three synoptic gospels. 
Uh, you can find my father's chronology of the passion on TorahResource.com for free. You can download it and read it. Um, and what is what is starting to happen is people uh, who have their minds in this headspace are starting to read Petrie, and they're starting to say, okay, this guy makes a lot of sense. In fact, I talked to Dr. Keener at the last SBL, and he said, I, I said, do you still hold to the Johannine chronology? He said, well, uh, uh, yes, but I'm starting to shift. I said, what's making you shift? And he said, the work that Dr. Petrie has done on this. So and he and he's right to do that. I think that the only way that we can line up the uh, the synoptics with the Johannine chronology is through um, is through the, what is what Petrie has called the Passover hypothesis. I have written on this. Uh, I did a, a lengthy uh, chapter on this in a work that was never published. I published that chapter. You can find it on GrowingMessiah.com. And uh, but this is what Dr. MacArthur says. He says the question is why did the disciples eat the Passover meal on Thursday? The answer lies in a different in a difference among the Jews in the way they reckoned the beginning and ending of days. From Josephus, the Mishnah, and other ancient Jewish sources, we learn that the Jews in northern Israel calculated days from sunrise to sunrise. Let's stop. <coughs> yeah. First of all, um, uh, once again. I respect Dr. MacArthur, but this is really, really dropping the Do ball you know what here. This reminds me of it. Reminds me of the um, what's his name, Van something. The guy who talks about the the he has the footsteps of the Messiah uh, stuff, and oh, he talks yeah. about the the bride, uh, uh, the whole um, marriage betrothal thing of, yeah, yeah. of ancient Jewish marriage. What's that guy's name? Van- Vanderland. Ray Vanderland. Yeah. Yep. Where where he'll say, yeah, in, in ancient Jewish sources, we learn dot, dot, dot. But and then a whole bunch of people take that and run. But you go, wait, can you show me those sources? And they're like, uh, uh, cricket sounds. So this is exactly of the Exa- same so, yeah, and, genre. And for those who are not looking at this text, so this is a classic I I mean, once again, I, I don't want to down Dr. MacArthur, but this is a rookie mistake. And the reason why is because he's, he makes this claim from Josephus, the Mishnah and other ancient Jewish sources. We learn yet he doesn't reference any place in Josephus, any place in the Mishnah or any other Jewish sources right. that reference the fact that there was that any Jews in any place reckon the day from sunrise to sunrise. I personally and I am willing to be shown differently. I have studied this at length. This was kind of my focus for a very long time. And I have not been able to find any evidence whatsoever that that is the case. None. Zero. From any source. So the idea... Yeah, yeah me neither. Me neither. So this, the idea that, that some Jews in the North um, reckon the day from sunrise to sunrise, you will need to show me that. I, I, I think that that is a false claim. And I and honestly, if it's not a false claim, then this is laziness on the on the part of uh, Dr. MacArthur not to give references. This is where Dr. MacArthur should say, and you can find that you can find Josephus here, footnote, Mishnah, footnote, ancient Jewish Jewish sources, footnote. Now, he might be taking this in his defense. He might be taking this from another scholar or another person who's made this claim and he's just re restating the claim that somebody else has made but that means that the other person hasn't given references either and that's a no-no okay so let's keep going 
That area included the region of Galilee where Jesus and all the disciples, except Judas, had grown up. Apparently, most, if not all, of the Pharisees used the, that system of reckoning. Apparently. Okay? So he's trying to work this out, but he goes on. But Jews in the southern part, which centered in Jerusalem, calculated days from sunset to sunset because all the priests necessarily lived in or near Jerusalem, as did most of the Sadducees. Those groups followed the southern scheme. Now, I just want you to note what's going on here. What is going on is he has made a false claim, or a claim that, that to my knowledge, has absolutely no backing. He has not backed it up with any references, and now he's going to build an entire theological claim on this. And this is not a small theological claim, by the way. No, because it has to do with God's sovereignty. He claims... God's sovereignty here. It's not only that. It also has to do with the continuity of the scriptures. The fact of the matter is, is that for 2,000 years, scholars have been trying to figure out how to reconcile the the chronologies of John with the chronology, the chronology of John with the chronologies of the of the uh, Synoptic Gospels. And the only way that has been legitimately found out to be able to work is through what is called this the Passover hypothesis. And Dr. MacArthur, apparently, when he wrote this, I think actually he probably wrote this before. Um, Petri yeah, this, this particular publication is 2013 Thomas Nelson publishing. Yeah, so, so, so he wrote this. He wrote it before that, for and, sure. And you know what? That's fine. I, I actually have no problem with him saying, you know what? I think that this might be the way that they did it. But then you would need to say, and these are the references on why I would base it on this. But he's not doing that. He's just making a claim, and it, it, it leaves us saying, no, you can't do this. Okay, so let's keep going with, now let's hear the claim. The variations doubtlessly caused confusion at times, but it also had some practical benefits. During Passover time, for instance, it allowed for the festival to be celebrated legitimately on two adjoining days. We don't see, I, I don't see this anywhere. Thereby permitting the temple sacrifices to be made over a total period of four hours rather than two. I, I also think, and this is just a side note, I also think that this is an error. I'm not sure where he's getting the idea that the temple sacrifices could only be given for two hours. In fact, every publication that I've ever read on the, on the Passover sacrifices, including the Mishnah, and I could find that reference for you, by the way, they say that the term uh, between the evenings, okay? So it says, and the sacrifice shall be made between the evenings. What everyone that I've read has has hypothesized or said, and they get this from the Mishnah and Josephus, is that as soon as the afternoon sacrifices were completed, which was around 12.30 p.m., okay? So the sun starts to go down at 12.30 p.m., and this is when the sacrifices start. So the Passover sacrifices start at that time, and they go until sunset, which would give you about five hours. You'd be able to sacrifice depending on when Passover falls because whether or not it's a leap year or not. But the point is, is that you have until about 530 if you're in the month of April. So about five hours, you have from about 1230 to, to 530. Now, I I think it's Josephus is the one who talks about the amount of priests that are on the Temple Mount at the time, how they have these can they basically have these what I mean, it's like. A conveyor line, like they, assembly line, assembly yeah, line. Kind of, they, yeah, yeah, they have these, you know, one line of priests that slits the throat. 
they then uh, pass the 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 lamb to the priest in front of them. That priest turns and slits down, and then you know, and then all of them move to the side, take three steps back, and do it all again. You know, it's it's that kind of of work. It's like Henry Ford, man. Yeah, exactly. And I think they learned from Henry Ford. The, uh, yeah, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> and there, and so the amount of lambs that are able to be slaughtered in that time frame is the amount. You know, this is how they were able to do it in five hours. The idea that is put forward here, once again, with no reference or explanation, and maybe it's somewhere else in his study Bible. I don't know. I haven't looked um, because I, I don't know exactly. You know, I've done a lot of work on this. This was not one of the sources that I attempted to use. But um, the idea that there would only be two hours to sacrifice the lamb, he would need to clarify that statement as well. I don't understand why there would be two hours instead of five hours. Let's keep going. That separation of days may also have had the effect of reducing both regional and religious clashes between the two groups. On that basis, it seems contradictions in the gospel accounts are easily explained. Being Galileans, Jesus and the disciples considered Passover day to have started at sunrise on Thursday and to end on sunrise on Friday. The Jewish leaders who arrested and tried Jesus being mostly priests and Sadducees considered Passover day to begin at sunset on Thursday and end at sunset on Friday. By that variation, predetermined by God's sovereign provision, Jesus could thereby legitimately celebrate the last Passover meal with his disciples, and here is a key phrase, and yet still be sacrificed on Passover day. I, I'm not positive I, I, I don't want to put ideas or or anything else, you know, theological notions in the mouth of Dr. MacArthur. But it sounds to me like what he's attempting to do is make it so that Yeshua celebrates the Passover on the eve of Passover on Nisan 14. And but, he's got his Galilean hat on. Right. But then still is sacrificed. Then he takes the, off the Galilean hat and puts on his Judean hat. Is still sacrificed. He is still crucified at the same time as the sacrifice of the lambs. Now, I don't know how this is, would even be possible. And the reason no, why because you're, you can't be in Galilee and sacrifice a Passover lamb. It's not only that, but the Passover you, lamb has to be completely agree with you. And here's the point is that there's no evidence whatsoever in any source that the priests allowed for two different days to, exactly. to sacrifice the lambs. In other words, you especially would, in Mark, it says the day that the Passover lambs are being slaughtered. Not That's, one of the days. Yeah. Right. They're yeah. in Jerusalem and it's at the temple. This is the day. There's no other. And you don't see, yeah, uh, once again, we don't see in like the synoptics anywhere else, like, or or even in the Mishnah or anything, even later texts, someone's coming and saying, hey, can you sacrifice my lamb? And the priest being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Passover isn't for three days. And them going, no, 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 but I'm on a different calendar than you guys I'm, are. I'm from Galilee. Yeah. I so think, can you please. Yeah, that explains a lot. <laughs> Come you, back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> it's it, that's not happening, man. It's it's just not. It's but that, here's the thing: he goes from from the the wording of apparently, right, right, to all of a sudden that by that variation, comma, predetermined by God's sovereign provision, comma, Jesus could thereby legitimately celebrate. This is now he's painting this in terms of God's sovereignty between a halakhic this. This hypothetical, imagined halakhic difference between Jews of the North and Jews of the South. And it just doesn't make sense. You know, we know that 
even from the Gospels, we know that it says the, the day was ending and they put him in the tomb and the Sabbath was starting and the women went and it said they got spices and then they rested according to the Sabbath commandment, meaning it's evening time. And those were all of Jesus' people, including his mother, who was also just as Galilean as he was, right? I mean, right. if, if it, so this is a big stretch. I was disappointed, but then after I reflected on it, I wasn't surprised. I'm really thankful that Stephanie sent in this question because I was, this was not on my radar at all that MacArthur had this viewpoint. He definitely needs to read Petrie um, and reconsider this. Uh, And, and also I agree that this is a a slop. This is, I don't know what you call it. Uh, You said it was sloppy uh, scholarship, but this is an example of someone just saying, yeah, we can, we can paint a Jewish background to help us understand something that's that that isn't easy for us to understand <clears throat> and then without actually building the house on on foundation yeah i mean once again i mean let's now let's let's uh let's compliment sandwich this you know in in macarthur's defense oh, uh, compliment sandwich <laughs> That's my wife's favorite term. You say something nice, then you put the bad part in. You you have such lovely hair. Why do you wear it that way? (laughs) But it looks good the way you have it right now. Yeah, see, that would be a comment. So anyway, um, I I, want to say this. You know, what we do see here is we see a want from MacArthur to uh, align the chronology properly. I've seen many scholars do this. I've actually been to uh, several uh, recent... I actually, uh, where were we? Oh, we were in Denver. In Denver, that was three years ago at, at ETS SBL. Um, I saw somebody give a lecture on the chronology of the passion. They were not even aware of Petrie. And to me, it's like, okay, if you're in that, if you're in that headspace and presenting papers, time to time to do some harder work. But the point, the point of all of this is, is that one of the things that we can say about MacArthur is that he's legitimately and genuinely attempting to solve this problem, which scholars have done for a very, very long time. He's doing it before people... Right. Up front, the beginning to Gospel of John, he says, look, there's an interpretive challenge right. that here in scholarship. Right. Uh, but yeah, and it's before Petrie, so... And so, I mean, and and uh, yeah, he's doing this before Petrie. A lot of scholars try to do it. And obviously, well, he, your dad had already hashed this out, but... Yeah, Your but people like MacArthur are not looking at my dad's work. They're not going to come to Torah Resource right. and be like, "Oh yeah, let's see what this messianic guy says." Um, but all of that said, to their it, own, t- well, to their know, own detriment, I understand. Yeah, However, I mean, yeah, if you look at it's their oh, own okay. judgment, yeah. All right, um, I suppose we can move on, and let's move on to. Do we have anything else? Did we have anything else? Oh, um, I was thinking about the concepts of salvation in the New Testament and old. And it seems like the New Testament has an emphasis on the afterlife, but the Old Testament has very scarce information on it. Are there similar concepts that that progress like the afterlife that you could point out to someone who does believe in the New Testament to show that there is a precedence for progressive revelation or that God could start emphasizing new things? Well, my first thought on this is to go to the temple. Uh, we, that's not in the New Testament. That's in the Tanakh. But we see the progressive revelation of God giving the Torah and giving the tabernacle. With, what's really interesting about this is that God gives the uh, the the covenant at in Exodus twenty, and it models after a suzerain vassal treaty, which we've talked about many times. 
Yet right after that, instead of God going back to his own dwelling place and letting the vassal rule from their place, what God does is sets up a tent in the middle of them. So this, in my mind, shows the very personal nature of our God and the way that he attempts that the covenant, although modeled after a suzerain vassal treaty, has a different uh, end effect. Yes, it is to give Israel the land, but ultimately, so it's a land grant treaty. That's what it is. But ultimately, the end effect is not that Israel will live in the land. It's that Israel will live in the land with God, that God will actually dwell with his people, not go back to his own heavenly realm and and be separate from his people, but that God will live with his people. So uh, anyway, um, so God sets up this tent in the midst of his people and they're going to wander around. But we have this progressive revelation. The tent then becomes a physical building, and it's not until they're in the land for a while, but uh, this physical building then becomes, you know, this is the temple, and this is the place. So this is progressive revelation of God dwelling with his people in the land. Do you have one, Rob? Do you, has, is there anything you've thought of? You know, it's it, the, the idea of afterlife really isn't a main it's it's one thread in all of scripture, right? But it's it's never like the main thing. Didn't and I think N.T. Wright wrote about this, and his basic point is, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about heaven, right? Um, whether Old Testament or New Testament, and then he unpacks that, like, well, what, why is that? Because there's a, you know, on the street level, the idea is believe in Jesus and you go to heaven seems to be like the main message. Um, but no, I don't, I don't have anything to add to that. (laughs) I mean, I think we could see, we could see a little bit of the angelic, um, the understanding of angels, right? I mean, obviously we see angels in the, in both the Tanakh and in the apostolic scriptures, Mm -hmm. but there seems to be this progression where all of us, like we obviously see Satan from, you know, pretty much chapter two chapter you know chapter two comes in chapter three and well i guess it's chapter three of genesis chapter three of genesis comes in and and there's the snake um but by the time you get to the apostolic scriptures the new testament now all of a sudden you know satan has really kind of become a it's a, a a specific figure who is doing specific things and talked about in a very specific way so i would think that that would be another one Okay, I think that's going to be it for us. I think that was a that was a fairly decent uh, two topics for the show, and I think that we're going to uh, we're going to end it there. Um, yeah. Well, thanks thanks for the great. Uh, what was it? It was Stephanie and Stephen. Stephen, thank you very much. That was a really good. Uh, yeah, if you want to be material. if you want to help uh, build the material for this show, then you can do so. Two five. Oh, I, oh, I have my final. Sorry, the three fifty four. Oh, Show 354. It. What did anybody post what that Somebody was? did post what it was. Let's see here. I got it right. Y'all. Hang on. Uh sorry, 354th day would be 20th December of any year except the leap year. Uh 354 354 days in the biblical calendar. Almost. That was unashamed of Jesus. 354 days in a lunar 12 month year. Oh. All right. That's not the it's not the same as a biblical calendar because the biblical calendar has to have intercalation. Right. Uh, that's how we know that in Deuteronomy one, after forty years, they weren't celebrating Passover like in the winter, um, 
right? I mean, it's they they knew what spring was. So um, anyway, good job. Good, good, yeah. All right, so baby. if you want to be uh, help us uh, build content for the show, you can do so by leaving a message for us, 253-465-3205. Uh, it's not us. You just get a message machine. You can also shoot us an email, chagatorresource.com. It's chagatorresource.com. And don't forget to subscribe and like our channel. Uh, if you don't subscribe or like any other channel, you should subscribe and like our channel because you should. <laughs> All right, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. <laughs> <laughs>